Hello and welcome to The Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist and I'm the online editor at The Strad. The technique of playing double-stopped octaves can strike fear into the hearts of many a cellist, including yours truly, right here. It certainly can be a daunting and overwhelming concept for players, but it doesn't have to be. Here to give us tips on practicing and teaching octaves for cellists, as well as how to avoid mental catastrophizing, is Seth Parker Woods. Seth is a Grammy-nominated cellist who is Assistant Professor of Practice for Cello and Chamber Music at Thornton School of Music, University of Southern California, and he provides a technique article in our brand new March issue on this topic. Here he is. Hey Seth, welcome to the Strad Podcast. It's wonderful to have you here today. So you're here to talk with me about octaves for cellists and this runs alongside nicely with our upcoming March Technique feature where you give your tips and strategies on how to play and also how to teach octaves for cellists. So a particular technique that can strike fear into the hearts of cellists, perhaps with some good reason. Uh, in my experience, I've found, you know, they can be awkward intonation-wise. Uh, not only that, but also physically, if you've never done octaves before, all of a sudden you're bringing your thumb on top of the fingerboard and ah, all sorts of things. <laughs> First of all, I wanted to ask you, what are your memories of learning octaves? How did you find learning them uh, when you were younger? <laughs> so I think, uh, well, yes, it, the octaves do incite deep fear, I think, in a lot of people. Depending on it, as the rep becomes more advanced, of course, it's a lot more is asked of you in the way in which you even get into the, that, that type of passage work or technical work. Um, but my earliest memory actually goes back to, I guess, rather young, you know, my teen years, uh, working with my then teacher, David Garrett, who's now, well, has been for a long time now, in the Los Angeles Philharmonic. So it started there, you know, he was kind of like the big cello dad, so really trying to organize it in a way to help you understand exactly just the physicality behind it, that it's always not going to be <laughs> comfortable, but also like the big thing was just preparatory work, just getting strength and flexibility in like the frame of the hand, but also especially the thumb, so you don't have this sense, this idea that I think sometimes students think that the thumb needs to be so locked in order to hold down, you know, hold the weight of the string. Uh, <laughs> um, and I'm like, maybe your tension's just a little too high in your bridge. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you should look at the action of your strings, right? Yeah, but there is that, isn't it? That, that kind of daunting feeling of like, oh my goodness, I've got to press down the strings. And then with that feeling of pressing, then you kind of incite more tension. And I think that's what freaks people out, right? Like Exactly. And then I have to play two notes in the exact intonation together you know, in real time, <laughs> whether it's just scalar passage, single note, one note per bow, whatever it may be, the, just the simple idea that I have to, it, playing intonation with one singular note is already hard enough, <laughs> let alone two, my goodness, help me. <laughs> with no frets as well, with should we add. no frets, where are we? So but just that idea of just also the geography of the instrument. So really doing preparatory stories in that way kind of became the very basic kind of like bedrock for me early early on. And then much later, 
In my undergrad, of course, still doing technical studies. Popper was a big one for that, really just helping. And, you know, I guess I'll get into this later, like just how using some of the Popper stuff, not necessarily playing it fully through, but using kind of extracted parts to kind of just zero in just on the physicality and just kind of geographic, like um, spacing relationships um, to kind of understand how your hand moves and contorts to get the material, especially when you have more melodic or chromatic based writing. Yeah, I think you kind of touched on this before, but like, I think it's really important just learning about that kind of prep work that you mentioned, your your teacher, David Garrett, I just think about David Garrett, the violinist, but oh, different yeah. David, <laughs> different David, David Garrett, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that prep work, the strength, that's really, really important. And also the left hand thumb to third finger frame as well. And, you know, there's a lot to think about, obviously. When you have lots of things to think about, I know you mentioned this in your article, players tend to mentally catastrophize this whole concept of playing this particular technique. So in terms of that, what are some common sort of mistakes or or pitfalls you see in students who are, you know, perhaps frantically trying to learn this concept? Um, I think one of the things is trying to go immediately with both thumb and third finger, where I find that if I've always used the thumb as kind of like the anchor, which it really is, mm-hmm. and just learning the spacing, just how that is moving in real time, uh, very slowly, obviously, at the beginning, just understanding kind of what is it, what is my actual spacing when you're not necessarily normally used to, like, you have a very clear understanding of like one through four fingers, one through four, including the pinky. <laughs> But, but but the thumb kind of being kind of the melodic guide in this way, what that actually feels like and looks like, how hard I need to press. Like when we think about the idea of like um, dynamics, I think it's Bonnie Hampton that talks about is it, and Dorothy DeLay, like is this pianissimo? Is this forte? Is this mezzo forte in my, you know, in my fingers? So the same idea as far as we think about pressure on the fingerboard, what that actually feels like, how much I actually need to give in doing this actual act and trying to just map out what this feels like and more so of like a sliding technique essentially not trying to kind of shift 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 uh but more so just glissing moving moving through the space uh, Mm -hmm. to understand what that actually feels like on a very kind of relaxed controlled not frantic (laughs) situation (laughs) like the idea of like being kind to yourself (laughs) yeah truly and then trying to kind of add in the third, the, the third finger. So understanding then, okay, so if this is the mapping for this, this is the whole step pattern, this is the half step pattern, and this is half and holes, whatever, whether it's chromatic or melodic, then how does that then translate when I add the third finger in? So sometimes I'll, even now, I'll segment, take the thumb out, and then just add the third and figure what that is, and then start to kind of create um, rhythmic patterning, um, and also just gliss patterning so I can get an idea of like what is changing as I'm doing this as the arm needs to extend from the left side up and out, I should say, <laughs> to be able to get the right intonation so that way it does feel as calm as possible. It's trying to do this calmly in a melodic and methodical method, right? Just making mm-hmm, sure that mm-hmm. nothing is too rigid. I think you mentioned before, not just shift, 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 but feeling that motion in between if that makes sense, just making sure that one connects, right? Because I guess when you're playing a passage of loads of octaves, you're not going to be thinking one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, (laughs) all the different positions, right? (laughs) 
I mean, you have to think about, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are. You have to sort of think about the journey in between the different positions, right? Exactly. And trying to be able to hear that and anticipate. So if I'm using the thumb as kind of like the root for this, how do I then temper? I'm thinking about kind of tempering the second voice in real time. So I think in doing that preparatory work, taking the original passage that's notated there and then breaking that down even further. And maybe that's per beat, that's per measure or or groupings of beats um, to understand exactly what that movement or choreography actually looks like for you, I think has been very helpful for me in teaching it, but also just in my day-to-day practice as I'm kind of going back into some heavy cello and also just looking at there's like that one moment in the Rachmaninoff where it's like it just comes out all in the triplet passage work and it's like here we are (laughs) (laughs) yes but I think you use that as a case in your technique feature actually right and and I do there is a, a quite a handy thing where you can use an open string to prepare your arm to get over the shoulder of the instrument so that you're not just frantically you know bang 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 like trying to Plopping land down. in the right yeah exactly <laughs> in the right place and, and you have these points of reference so that you're not just trying to pluck two pitches out of nowhere but there's these sort of landmarks yeah you know as a practical example you've talked a lot about general strategies about being kind to yourself making sure that you don't do too much too soon breaking mm-hmm. things down into steps as an example and I think you do use this in your March technique feature. There's that wonderful grand octave scale passage in the Dvorak <laughs> concerto. <laughs> uh, asking for a friend, clearly. <laughs> you know, and say one is learning that concerto for the first time and they come across this passage, you know, and it, it ends with this incredible entrance of what well, coincides with the entrance of the orchestra and it ends really, really high. What would your strategy be? be if you were teaching this or if someone was perhaps teaching themselves to play this Mm. passage for the first time what would your first sort of steps be for approaching this the first steps i still even to this day even working on it but also like currently i have like three students doing this and two are doing it for the first time um it's just it's full thumb it's not even the full octave there. So it's just, and it's, we break it down into kind of groupings because it just feels like a giant gliss in that way. So just, we break it down into sets of four and then a four and a four to get the under, the full understanding of what that actually is to just go straight up the D string for this. From there, we, we start to add the third finger, again, still in pattern work. So then we'll break it down and then add rhythmic, just out of context. I'm not trying to necessarily put it directly in. So we break it down just so we get some kind of rhythmic understanding of just the movement outside of its original context. So we create different types of rhythmic patterning to look at it. And then there's kind of like a drilling cycle of those things over and over so that it does feel calm and comfortable. Like how much do I actually need to press here in this moment? The other big thing that I think a lot of people don't talk about is string contact between the bow and the hand. Angling also. And how we kind of temper kind of the voicing when we think about just kind of chordal playing, how we think what what takes priority here? Is it more that the... the lower pitch or is it more the upper pitch? Does that then shift at some point through that passage work, the octave passage work, especially in this musical context here, knowing that the orchestra is now coming in with the theme again, right kind of underneath you. So this is kind of how we I 
still started and still kind of guided. Obviously, for those that are kind of revisiting it, it's some of the same exact material. It may not be the lower part of the octave. It may be the upper part of the run. So that's kind of how I look at it right now. But I think that the segmenting of the pattern, I think, really helps take some of the pressure off and understand still what the movement is. It's never one thing. It's either it's string contact, balance of weight, pressure in the left hand, pressure in the right hand. Does the angle change over the course of the material? Um, what needs to take priority, left or right? Is my thumb locked? Is it still pliable? Is the third finger guiding this? Some people would say, I can also speak for myself, there are moments where I don't necessarily, you know, listen in quotations to the thumb as the guiding. I'm more so listening to the upper because that's the one that always seems to be the bigger guide. Mm-hmm. Or that's the way in some in, in some situations, some cellists may also hear when they're listening to kind of chordal voicing. Um, it just depends. Everyone's hearing a little bit differently. So trying to kind of at least take into account that. And then what does that then mean for when we rebalance the idea of tempering pitch? Yeah, it's a very fine balance of a lot of elements, as you mentioned. Yeah. I really love what you said about thinking about bow contact on the string because, you know, with double stops in general, it's... I find it so much more helpful to think about playing with a flatter bow hair so that you've got that good contact between the strings so that you can actually hear yourself. And you highlighted earlier about how important it is to be able to hear. And sometimes if you're not playing quite with enough contact, with enough sound on one of the notes, then it doesn't really instill confidence in you to think, oh, am I playing the right thing? I'm not too sure. I can't quite hear myself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Plenty of things to think about there. It's important to kind of be able to find different ways to kind of come into the octaves, and they're all going to be a little bit different. We have the Dvorak, yes, but even in the Rachmaninoff, there, of course, there's so many different examples one could choose to look at. But I think I always think of the Rachmaninoff because it's kind of coming from two separate types of techniques and yeah. what it is to kind of go from that double-stopped patterning work that's kind of constantly shifting between fifths and thirds or six extension there. What is it to go from that to now having to leap? And so that's why I kind of cheated and use <laughs> the, the harmonic there. Oh, but it's not cheating. It's finding a, a strategy and it, and it works, you know. Yes. Playing the cello is hard enough. You've got to find ways to make it easier, right? Exactly. So I find that that really does work and it kind of helps set you up. And then it's like training to kind of not necessarily, okay, now I do the whole thing. No, you it's what I like to call a kind of connective tissues. So it's the material or the technique or the movement in between that kind of helps kind of bring it, bring all the parts on the, the side of A and the side of B or whatever the letters you want to choose on, on opposite sides of the material to kind of bring those together. So what is it to make, to go in between that movement? What needs to change? What is changing? What is contorting that's either helping or holding you back? Seth, thank you so much for speaking with me today about octaves. Clearly, lots of things that people don't talk about, but perhaps should. So I'm hoping that your words will provide much-needed wisdom for those who are perhaps mentally catastrophizing about this particular technique. So thanks a lot. <laughs> thanks again, Davina. That was cellist Seth Parker Woods. And if you're interested in reading more about octaves for cellists and checking out the Dvorak and Rachmaninoff case studies mentioned in the chat, check out Seth's technique feature in our March issue 
on sale now. And don't forget to check out thestrad.com where you'll find the latest news, articles and reviews on all things to do with string playing. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. Don't forget, 50% off an online subscription for students and if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days, start reading right away with no strings attached. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or a rating, it will help people discover this podcast. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye.